0: Hey guys, before we get started today, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by the Tiny Survival Guide and Card. These are two fantastic resources to keep with you at all times. And best of all, you can go over to Kickstarter right now to get yours first before they go live to the general public. Simply search Tiny Survival Guide over on kickstarter.com or click the link in the description below. when they draw and shoot and they end up shooting you know they see hey you just shot your kid the surprise aspect of self-defense is very vital so anytime you're carrying a weapon around and everybody can see it everybody is aware of it in my opinion it doesn't bode well for spreading the good nature of firearms for defense it makes people on edge and so I would rather just keep it concealed and most people will never know that it's there.
1: All right, guys, welcome to the Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, and producer Ben, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the tactics, gear, skills, and mindset you need to survive any crisis, emergency, or disaster. And it's our goal to show you how to use the lessons you learn today to thrive in your life tomorrow.
0: Craig, how are you doing? Doing very well, my friend, doing very well. So did you work out today? I did. I'm actually doing some work with local police department in a warehouse, so Got my battle ropes, my kettlebell, and my big sandbag, so uh, I can take a break in the midst of my work and and throw and drag and pick that stuff up a lot. Oh, nice! Pick stuff up, put it down. So where there's a will, there's a way. If you want to work out, it's that's true. For sure.
1: It's true. And body weight is a great way to do it too. If you don't have any mm. tools available, right on. And where in the world is producer Ben today?
0: <laughs> ben is gone, out of action. <laughs> Just fine. We'll see what we can do with him. All
1: right. Maybe we can maybe we can fumble our way through. So you want to tell the guys what our mission is here and what we're going to talk about today?
0: Uh, our mission is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. Uh, today, we're going to have an expansion on our active shooter podcast that happened before the one that you're listening to right now. So if you haven't listened to that one, then pick that one up. What we wanted to do today was specifically... Uh, consider some things from David and my perspective on concealed carry as it relates to active shooter and I'd like to emphasize for everybody that David nor I are shooting instructors we're not tactical shooting instructors at all we are sharing some opinions on how we handle what we do and we're open to you know a good discussion what we're going to do is just share how we do things we've had different experiences and different training methodologies and what we want to do we, we separated about four or five questions out what we thought we'd do is just to get different perspectives of David and mine is throw these questions out there and then uh, both of us will take the time to answer them
1: yeah and I think this topic is really important because I think more and more people are considering carrying or having a personal firearm even in their in their homes or concealed carrying and I know when I started to get into all this I had a lot of questions so hopefully we can help you folks out today Greg, do you have a question queued up here for us?
0: Yeah. Number one, what are your thoughts on utilizing a handgun for defense during an active shooter event? So, David, you go, and then I'll follow up.
1: Yeah, I'm going to step back. I'm going to step way back. And this is something that I, when I mentor younger men that want to go into the military, especially because, of course, everybody wants to be a Navy SEAL or be a an Army Ranger, right? I think there's a sober realization When you possess a firearm, regardless of what that is, you really have one of the ultimate force multipliers. So we talk about this mindset, skills, tactics, and gear a lot, where gear is a force multiplier if you don't have, for instance, in this case, self-defense training or a whole lot of uh, skill based things, or if you do, uh, an equalizer in an active shooter situation or a force multiplier would be a personal firearm. I think it's really important to just stop right here or step back and consider the fact that you have something in your hand that, whether it's used properly or improperly, can take a life. But I think it's important for everybody to step back and say, hey, this isn't the movies, and we're not John Wayne, and this is real people, this is real lives and situations, and be aware of the sober responsibility.
0: Yeah, life is precious, you all. I would just ditto what David said as far as doing an active shooter event is taking the life of anyone's not going to be easy to do. We are uh, hardwired. Humans are hardwired to not do that. We're hardwired to not bring harm to others. Psychopaths and other... We can get man. I'd love to get a good psychologist on here sometime, and and talk about that. Some people that hardwiring gets mixed up or gets cut off or whatever. You're going to be able to do to be able to defend yourself with a firearm. You're going to have to have extensive training because more often than not in in the event you're going to lock up. And some good tactical training instructors can help you overcome that. So uh, I'm a big fan of finding guys that have had experience being shot at or being have experience carrying a weapon on a regular basis, whether it's military law enforcement and training with them and uh, getting their advice and and counsel on how to go about doing that as best you can.
1: You mentioned being trained. Maybe spin off on that a little bit and bring people up to speed on what you would consider adequate training if you are going to conceal carry or considering at all the potential of utilizing a firearm in a situation like we're talking about.
0: Okay. First off, as far as training is concerned, you you need to do something a whole lot more than being on a static range. Standing on a static range and shooting at a target seven yards away, which is the typical concealed carry permit uh, distancing, it is not preparing you for the situation where you need to defend yourself or your family or others with a firearm in an active shooter event. You always need to keep in mind the four rules of gun safety. Um, The four rules of gun safety for those that are not comfortable. Number one, all guns, you should consider all guns are always loaded. Two, never let the muzzle cover anything that you're not willing to destroy. Number three, keep your finger off the trigger till your sights are on the target. And number four, identify your target and what is behind it that what is behind it. The reason I emphasize that, cause that's huge an active shooter. You get an active shooter in a concert and you shoot at him and miss Just you know, there might be thousands of people behind that person. Those four rules of gun safety are imperative and any good shooting instructor worth their salt is going to train you on how to do that. And the other thing that they should be doing is teaching you how to handle yourself under stress, particularly under decision-making. So you'll see a lot of guys, and I've done this a lot with uh, really good instructors, will have targets that have maybe, uh, some of the targets might move. They might, one good target where you have to force yourself to think while you're shooting, which is not easy to do is uh, they'll have numbers and colors and different shapes and the instructor might go A1 and you've got to draw and shoot. So it forces you to be thinking as you're shooting. One of our good friends just came back from training from a special forces gentleman and she was telling me that they had paper targets set up. Yeah, but there were targets of humans and there were like 20 targets there and people were intermingled and, and the good guy was in the middle of a bad guy and the bad guys, the bad guy was right in the middle of good guys and you had to pull and shoot. And maybe sometimes your target was about the size of a baseball and you had to hit it or you shot somebody else. And so what the instructor did to help, uh, in, increase the stress was he went down to target and every time somebody come up, he wrote the family members' names on the target, uh, on the good guys. And so when they drew and shot, then it was really compounded in their mind. Okay, you just shot your husband because your accuracy is not where it needs to be. Sometimes we can get into a situation on the range where it's just paper targets. And by putting, uh, sometimes this guy puts photos of family members on targets. And then when they draw and shoot and they end up shooting, you know, they see, Hey, you just shot your kid. That's not cool. It's a good way of understanding how to deal with stress with a firearm because it's not a toy, and a concealed carry permit does not give you the right to just carry a gun around and pretend that you know what you're doing, just like you said john wayne that's just that's wrong
1: so craig that's that's all really good. I'd like to emphasize to people because some people have not, never heard
0: the four basic rules of firearm safety. Can you go back through those? So number one, I'll try to go slower this time. Maybe I went too fast. Uh, Number one, all guns are always loaded. You never assume that a firearm that you have in your hand or that is in a safe or is in a wherever is unloaded. Uh, When you pick it up, you never... Uh, allowed, which is number two, you never let the muzzle cover anything you're not willing to destroy. That The easier way to understand that maybe for those that are new is the business end. The end where the bullet comes out of the weapon is what's referred to as the muzzle. And so you never allow that to be pointing at anything that you're not willing to destroy. That could be your dog, that could be your family member, that could be anything in your house, for that matter, that you don't want to destroy. Uh, You always want to keep it pointed in a safe direction, loaded, unloaded, any number of ways. And that's difficult to do in a large group of people. So think of it this way, you've got an active shooter situation and you have to draw and get on target. When you start muzzling, sticking that muzzle out there, you're probably going to be sweeping people if you do not pay close attention to what you're doing. So you have to do you have to do that number three is keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on target so a lot of people say keep your booger hook off the bang switch which is just keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on target because under stress you have your finger on the target which is what you're going to see every time you watch anything that comes out of hollywood because those people are, are not very smart when they're teaching people how to utilize firearms keep your finger off of it until you get up on target you have your target identified and that's Number four, identify your target and what is behind it. So as you have your weapon on target, you recognize what is behind it. Let's say it moves right as you pull the trigger. Is there something behind it that is going to be destroyed? So you need to know what's behind it. Oh, man, you're just going to have to have a lot of training. This is not something that should be taken lightly at all.
1: That's really good, Craig. And you had mentioned before some training. Now, do you still do your tactical survival training at your school?
0: We do. Yeah, we have tactical survival, uh, which I teach the survival portion of it. Mr. Rodney Van Zant of Ironsight Defense teaches the tactical side of it, which is a whole lot of shooting with teams, peel drills, breaking for cover, hand railing, you know, this it's a wilderness class. So it's a, a small unit tactics class basically is what it is.
1: And that's a fantastic class, guys. I, I did that a couple of years ago, and I think that was my favorite class of yours. For people that are new to this in almost every state, and I'm not, Exactly sure on this. You're going to need a concealed carry permit. Do you want to talk about that, Craig? I know it's different in different states, but maybe you have a concise way of sharing with people what that means.
0: Concealed carry permit is basically your ability to carry a firearm in such a way that people cannot see it while you're carrying it. The reason it is important is because it gives you a level of surprise. Every time we talk about self-defense, whether it's armed or unarmed, we talk about surprise, speed, and violence of action. For those that carry open carry, I do not want to get into the, man, the huge disagreement on the issues that come along with open carry because a lot of people are very passionate on both sides of that issue. Me personally, because this is, I'm a co-host of this show and I get to say what I'm, I want to say is that the better method is to have a concealed carry whenever you can. Uh, if you can't, and you can open carry, then it's better to have that than to not have a weapon at all. But the surprise aspect of self-defense is very vital. So anytime you're carrying a weapon around and everybody can see it, everybody is aware of it. Uh, it doesn't, in my opinion, it doesn't bode well for spreading the good nature of firearms for defense. It makes people on edge. And so I would rather just keep it concealed, And most people will never know that it's there. And if I ever were to need it, then it is there. Uh, And with training, I get to it readily and easily. How you go about the training you have to go through to get a concealed carry permit. And sometimes it's called concealed deadly weapons. Sometimes it's carrying concealed weapons. Uh, It's any number of things, depending upon which part of the country you're in. But it usually that training involves a heavy dose of the law of your state on how to be able to defend yourself, which is vital, vital. And uh, I'm a big fan of concealed carry permit training and, and, and being able to handle yourself and understand the law, whether and I'm not saying, you know, personally, I think we should all have the right to do it. I, I think the right to self-defense is a God given right. It's in our constitution simply backs that up and affirms that. Uh, I think we have the right to defend our lives if somebody's going to bring harm to us. And no country, no state has to grant that to me. But I am thankful that our constitution backs that up and affirms it. And um, because some states require you to get this concealed carry permit, I'm a fan of being a law-abiding citizen when and where I need to be and should be. And so that's, that's part of the process. And this is for you guys
1: that, that aren't familiar with this. This is generally state by state. I know in the state of Pennsylvania, we go to our county, basically the county courthouse. We go to the sheriff's office. Craig, it used to be as, I guess, easy as a quick background check. They call state police. They do a, a search on your records. And they literally used to call your three references while you stood there, and they would issue it. Now it it's about a week-long process which, you know, it is what it is, but when you get to, but there's no training involved in our state. Now I do have a permit from the state of Utah also, and you can, in some instances, get a concealed carry permit for other states. And the reason that I like the Utah permit is that there's something called reciprocity, which means that your concealed carry permit is generally, and a lot of times, could possibly only be good in your state of residence. So when you cross the state border, you would not legally be able to conceal carry. There are various states that respect each other's conceal carry permits, and that's called reciprocity. It changes all the time. But Utah gives me the ability to pick up some states that I would not normally be able to get with Pennsylvania's a reciprocal relationship with them. And the Utah training was fantastic. It was about four hours and actually some of the best training that that I have ever gotten uh, with regards to securing a concealed per carry permit.
0: That's good stuff. Kentucky's even longer than that. Uh, it, they do have a pretty good program here. You have to watch a video. It basically covers the law. And then you have to shoot at a target and be proficient at seven yards here in the state of Kentucky. And you can utilize any weapon that you like for that. You can use a 22, which I'm not a fan of. Again, I think we should have the right to defend ourselves without some government saying that I have that right. I have that right, period. And, but since that law is there, I think it should be that you should show proficiency with the weapon you're going to carry.
1: I do think that's a fantastic requirement. I mean, I, I hate to say it. I know of a lot of people that go out and purchase a firearm and they, They've literally never shot it, and I don't think that's good. And I I think the way that Kentucky does it ensures that you've at least shot
0: your firearm
1: in one situation. That gets back to the whole training aspect, which I think we both
0: agree wholeheartedly that the more training, the better. I say it every time, but I'm just telling you. If all you do is buy a gun and get a concealed carry permit, you're probably more of a liability than an asset to that situation. You need to get the training. If you can figure out how to get that done on your own, then do it but I'm just telling you the better method is to you need to in my opinion you need to be spending at least two to three times the amount of money that you spent on your firearm in training probably every year meaning you you go out and you get some good training let's say you do that the first year you go out and get some good training and you learn these drills and then you can continue to do the drills on your own after that but in the beginning you need if you just for the sake of discussion, if you buy a, a weapon for $500, which is nearly impossible, let's just use that as an example, you buy a weapon for $500, you need to be spending a minimum of $1, on, $1,000 on training with that weapon from an accomplished and good shooting instructor and then take extensive notes while you're doing it so that you can continue to practice on a regular basis after you leave that training. People are going to think I'm crazy for saying that, but I don't care. I'm just telling you, that is the way to do it. Uh, if you want to be proficient and safe, uh, anything outside of that is is just, again, you're probably more of a liability than an asset.
1: And I want to remind people of the question that we're talking about. What are your thoughts, meaning Craig and ours, and I want to know, we want to know what your thoughts are too on all this. On utilizing a handgun for for defense during an active shooter event. And what Craig's telling you all is this is really important. This is, again, back to that sober realization of what we're talking about here. We are not. We don't want to skim over this question, but this kind of gets us to a, a point that people need to be aware of, that it's not uncommon that if you use a firearm that you may get sued. It's just the culture that we
0: live in. Do you, do you have anything to say about that, Craig? No, you're going to get sued. It's, it's a, it's a given in today's world. And so if you don't have the training or you got Punisher stickers on your handgun and, and tick marks where you've quote unquote killed people, then you're going to go to prison. I mean, that stuff is ridiculous. Taking the life of someone is not a joke. It's not something that, you know, you puff your chest out and walk around and how, when you know, and talk about how cool and sexy you are and all that stuff. That's stupid. And uh, you, you just cannot do that. So we need to have good training so that we know how to communicate effectively if we ever have to utilize our weapon. And we need to have good good understanding of the law so that we know what our rights are and we don't use it inappropriately. You know, somebody breaking in your house and then running away and you shooting them in the back, which I've seen in the news as recent as last week, is a lawsuit waiting to happen in most states. I mean, it's, I, mean I don't want to get into the legal side of it because I'm not qualified to do that, but you need to get that training. You need to get that training and continue training so that you, you know how to handle yourself.
1: But yet we don't want to discourage. I mean, we're not here to discourage you from this. We just want you to be aware of the importance of being a responsible firearm own, owner and user. For you all that want to do this, right, there's an organization and I'm, I'm sure there's multiple organizations, but this is just one that I'm aware of. It's the USCCA. I think that stands for the United States Concealed Carry Association. They have some pretty good resources, and they also offer legal insurance policies in the event that you get that get sued. They have Second Amendment lawyers that, if you're if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, you're trained and you're using your firearm appropriately. They will come and defend you when you do get sued. So that's that's one thing to consider if you are seriously going to be carrying a concealed carry weapon and considering actually using it all right craig what else do we have as far as your thoughts in utilizing a handgun for self-defense during an
0: active shooter event i think that's a good start again i think i think we've emphasized the need for training i think that's the biggest thing here for sure i think we'll move on you want me you want me throw out number two so what is your handgun of choice and why Okay, you get to answer this one first this time. Glock 19, because when I pull the trigger on a Glock, it goes bang. That's why. And it does it every single time. I've shot it thousands of times. People that have Glocks have shot them thousands of times. And when you pull the trigger, they go bang. So that it's, it's a very, what I'm saying is that it's an incredibly reliable weapon. It, it works well for me. And this is important. This is probably the most important aspect of this is that for me, when I picked it up and shot at the first time, it felt good. It felt right. And I shot it accurately the first time I picked one up. That's the criteria for everybody. If your weapon of choice is a 1911, because when you pick it up, it feels good in your hand. Uh, you you can be safe with it. You can function it properly. And when you shoot it, you shoot it accurately, then choose a 1911. I'm not one of these guys as, that is a Glock fanboy, and Glocks are the only way. It works for me, so that's what I am. But you need to pick up a weapon that works for you. And just to throw something else in there, we have a tendency that when we are trying to get firearms for particularly late the ladies in our lives, that we tend to gr- gravitate toward getting a very small handgun just because we assume that their hands are smaller and what have you. And that's problematic because small handguns with small grips are harder to hang on to. You have to have a, a fair amount of grip strength to hang on to something that has a very small hand grip. And so it would be my recommendation that again, go to a place where you can rent guns and have someone shoot guns if they're new and learn what feels good in your hand and works well for you. In a nutshell, me, why did I choose a Glock 19? Cause it felt good in my hand when I pulled the trigger and have continued pulling the trigger for thousands and thousands of times. It still goes bang. I've never had a misfire, not a single one. And the weapon that I carry, I've had for several years now, obviously. Uh, and I can shoot it accurately and comfortably. Hey, this is the perfect time to tell you briefly about our sponsor today, which is the Tiny Survival Card and Tiny Survival Guide. They are small enough to fit in your wallet or purse, glove box, or any small area that you need one. The Tiny Survival Guide is incredibly well thought out and jam-packed resources full of information. The Tiny Survival Card is made from 0.025-inch thick 302 stainless steel and has a knife and other hard to improvise tools. We wanted a guide that would serve two purposes. Number one, was to give you a resource to help you prepare before an event occurs. The Tiny Survival Guide does exactly that. Read it and determine what gaps you have in your disaster readiness and start fixing those gaps now. Secondly, we wanted something that would serve to help you in disaster that was easy and small enough to carry anywhere. The Tiny Guide is small enough to fit in your wallet, in a glove box, your pack, or anywhere you might have need to reference survival information. Go over to Kickstarter right now to get yours first before they go live to the general public. Simply search Tiny Survival Guide over on kickstarter.com or click the link in the description below. All right, let's get back into this podcast.
1: I've got several pistols and revolvers,
0: and I've
1: cycled through them all. And I've what I've landed on, Craig, is I've landed on the Beretta Nano. It's a much smaller capacity. I think I've got with the extended grip in the Nano, it's eight plus one. And when I say eight plus one, it means you can chamber around. That's one that's in the chamber. And then you have eight in your magazine. And for me, the reason that that I chose that is because it's something that I'm comfortable. One, it's got that, I don't know if it's woo effect or the juju effect, but it it feels good in my hands. It's relatively lightweight. It's a 9 millimeter. I, I believe your Glock is a 9 millimeter, also, right? It is.
0: And it's 15 plus 1.
1: Okay. So Craig's personal choice has double the capacity that the Beretta Nano does. But with this particular unit, what they did is they they slimmed it down. There's a couple of different... I won't get into all the terminology. We actually have one, possibly two podcasts where I go through various personal firearm choices. Joe and I do that. And this is one we look at and we look at some larger capacity, nine millimeters, like what Craig carries. But for this one, it's very smooth on the outside. It doesn't have what they, what some people refer to as snag points. So it's unlikely that it's going to get caught up whether i pocket carry it or carry it on my waist or in a cargo pocket or a a pack or something that it's going to get snagged up if i need to access it and it just feels good it shoots really well for what it is it is literally something that i can wear on my hip and almost I, i never forget it's there but almost forget it's there it's so comfortable So I can carry it anywhere and never think about, Oh gosh, that thing is just too big. And yeah, I think you had a really good point. Those are our preferences. Craig, I'm, I'm guessing for you too, you probably have handled and cycled through quite a few firearms till you landed on that Beretta. Is that, am I accurate in assuming that?
0: Uh, You said Beretta, but it's Glock and, and yes, (laughs) uh, I had a real good friend. I I grew up shooting a lot of different guns growing up. I I wasn't the type to conceal carry or anything of that nature. And I had a really good friend that uh, took me to the range one day and let me shoot, I don't know, 15 different weapons. I mean, you just you talk about a friend. I mean, he brought me the ammo, brought me his weapons, and said, Here, have fun. And accurately and safely, obviously. And for me that day, and I had been anti-black gun, anti-Glock because I thought it was just, yeah, I was a country boy, redneck mm-hmm. and revolver, this and spit tobacco <laughs> and all that stuff. And although I've never chewed tobacco, I just said that for fun. But uh, I never thought that a Glock was something I'd be interested in. And I picked it up. And again, like I said, the first time I shot it, I picked it up. It felt good in my hand and I was accurate with it. And so I just stuck with it. I- I've been there ever since. But again, the key is... If you have a weapon that you feel comfortable with in your hand, you can shoot accurately, then you're more likely to train regularly with it. Mm -hmm, Exactly. If you've got a weapon that's causing a problem for your hand or it hurts, then you're not going to train and you're not going to be effective with it. So you need to get a weapon that you're effective with.
1: So let's just segue off of that a little bit. Do you have any, it could be a, a size of a firearm. It could be a caliber. Are there any that you would discourage people from getting like, You would just thumbs down a particular brand, a particular style, or maybe a particular caliber for any particular reason. I threw you a curveball (laughs) man.
0: Yeah. You know, I don't think I'm the best person to ask that question of. I think a a good tactical instructor will be able to show you the problems with certain brands that are out there. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because there are brands that don't function well. They have a lot of misfires and stuff of that nature, and I'm not qualified to do that really well, so I would avoid that. But it, it would be worth your while to go to a not only a gun store but to a good friend or find somebody that knows something that will sh- uh, speak to you honestly, and and uh, that will help you more tremendously than, than I can because I, I just don't have a – I mean, here's how I work. i find something that works, and then I stick with it. So I found the Glock that works for me and I've stuck with it. And so quite frankly, I can't uh, go on and on and on about 20 different styles of guns. I I will speak as best I can to the nine millimeter. Uh, The reason I chose nine millimeter rather than something like 45 or something of that nature is simply because it doesn't have as much recoil. And if my wife needed to shoot it, she could handle it very well as, as, as well. And I, she didn't feel comfortable shooting a 45. And so originally that's why we got started into the nine millimeter in case something happens to me and I go down, she can pick the weapon up and continue to defend herself and, and the kids at the time when, when they were little. Um, and so that, that works really well for us, for us as a unit. But again, I think you need to find what works for you. Um, you know, 22, some people like my mom, my mother, who is over 70, she has a little firearm that's a twenty-two because she can't handle anything more than that. With she's got some some arthritis problems, she can't handle anything other than a twenty-two. It it hurts really bad for her to do that, so she won't train with it. But her little twenty-two, she does, and it's better than nothing for her. And, that, and you know, my mother has gotten to wear at even at her age, she's she's doing really well in her training to defend herself with a firearm, and it is a twenty-two. It's it's better than not having one at all. That's for certain.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to throw out something really practical, because I think you hit on when I first started looking for personal firearms, I really didn't have a lot of money. So I looked at, I I wanted to believe that some of the maybe cheaper off brands were going to be sufficient. And I, I quickly found out that they all had significant deficiencies, but I've had good success with you, like with Glock, Beretta, Smith & Wesson, Ruger, Walther, Colt. There's a list of great firearms manufacturers out there but i've got several rugers several smith and wessons a couple of walthers bretta and then i know folks that have some of the other brands that are are just really solid uh, reputations and, and solid pieces of equipment
0: do you have anything to add to that list no certainly those are all top of the line i think you'll be okay with uh with any of those weapons except except one <laughs> I'm not I had a Ruger that just did not function properly at all Really, and so uh, I mean I've got a I've got some really nice Ruger revolvers I've got a nice Ruger rifle but the semi-auto that I had did not function well at all so I'm not a fan of it but but again it's 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 you and, and what weapons works well in your hand fits good in your hand you can shoot accurately so if that's a Ruger then by golly go with it I don't care I really don't I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of Glock because literally, I've shot mine thousands and thousands of times, and it has never, not one single time, failed to go bang when I pulled the trigger. So there is that. That's fantastic. Now it's
1: interesting because Glock for me, and I've I've shot them, and they sh- shoot well. But I have these itty bitty hands, and the the bigger double stack grips on those are a little bit more difficult for me to handle. So, yeah. So it just gets down to to personal choices here. So why don't we move on to our next question, which is, do you carry an
0: extra magazine with you? Why or why not, Craig? Yes and no. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And it's actually just a comfort issue. With some clothing, I just... It's just not comfortable to carry an extra magazine. I just haven't found a good way to do it that I can keep concealed. Uh, it seems like if I'm carrying, you know, it's just me. Uh, but you, more often than not, that uh, I do carry an extra magazine. It's just some clothing options, like and and what I'm speaking of is summertime wearing shorts and a t-shirt or something. It just gets to be cumbersome to do that. Other times, I'm I'm good to go carrying two. And that way, I have plenty of what I need to be able to defend myself and others.
1: Yeah, my answer is exactly the same, Craig. Most- most of the time i do of course my magazine is probably less than half the size of yours so it's it's easy just to drop even just to drop it in a pocket with my wallet it's it's that small i do prefer in waistband holsters me personally. And all that is, guys, is that it is a more of a rubberized outer surface. There's no, there's no clips or anything. It basically just sits between your, your waistline and your belt that puts pressure against it. And it just sits against your body. I use several different brands, Remora, Sticky, and I have actually a sticky holster for an extra magazine that easily comes on and off my belt. And most of the times of the year, like especially right now where I'm wearing multiple layers of clothing, I'm the same as you. I I don't always carry one, but but I often do. and, And I more often than not do Because of the one issue that that we talked about is uh, capacity. You have 15 plus one.
0: You've got to consider getting into a physical altercation with somebody no matter what system you utilize to hold your weapon. Because I taught grappling for years and I taught hand-to-hand combatives, including carrying a weapon to law enforcement, stuff of that nature. You don't want to be grappling with somebody and fighting and getting thrown up against a wall or even possibly going to the ground and that weapon of yours not be secure enough that it stays with you. So I'm a big fan of having whatever, if, if your holstering option stays with you in the midst of you doing some rolling around on the ground, then go for it. If it's not, then you need to fix yourself, uh, whoever you are. This is why I say sometimes if people don't train hard and, and fight hard, then uh, they don't recognize what kind of problems come up with that. So that's something that comes up pretty regular. I've had people in training, they're, the gun falls out. That's not cool. That's not cool at all. That's when the bad guy gets the gun and shoots you with it. That's not cool at all.
1: So then spin off of that, Craig, and just tell people what, what you prefer as far as a carrying option, because this, re- this is actually really, really important.
0: Okay, right now I'm carrying Bravo concealment, uh, and I have two. I have one that is outside the waistband and one that is inside. Dependent upon the clothing I wear is how I wear it. Like right now, my preferred method is an outside the waistband because it's just more comfortable, but I can't do that in the summertime. So I, I carry something different during that time of the year. And the weapon is, is incredibly, it snaps in. It, it's not completely locked in by a, a button or anything of that nature. Like maybe a law enforcement officer would wear, but I can fight in it. Meaning I can fight hand to hand. People aggressing me hard in that we carrying that option and my weapon stays with me. I've hit the ground. I've fought people on the ground with my weapon in my holster. When I say fight, I'm not saying playing patty cake. I'm talking throwing knees, throwing elbows, fighting people, hitting me in the face, hitting me in the mouth, and and fighting and getting thrown down and any number of things that happen. and my weapon has stayed with me. So I'm pretty pleased with what I carry mine in.
1: That's really good, Craig. So I... <laughs> I'm throwing some curveballs at you here. <laughs> I want to ask you what you think of, of this whole idea of carrying something is better than
0: carrying nothing. I'm sure you have something to say about that. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Um, something is better than nothing. And um, that's true. But if you're carrying a weapon and you don't have training and you don't, you don't have the ability to secure your weapon properly, then uh, it could be a liability to you. Meaning if you lose your weapon, the bad guy gets it, then it could be a liability. If you don't know how to use your weapon, you could actually shoot somebody in your family rather than defend them. Uh, that's not cool. Um, you know, but, you know, for example, I mean, a good a, a good uh, consideration is like it's illegal to carry concealed carry in government buildings, which include the post office. So I go to the post office every day. I can't carry my weapon in there. Do I have something else on me that I can that's legal? Yeah, by golly, because, you know, there's been some active shooters in government facilities like a post office. So I want to be prepared there as best I can, run, hide, fight. So I have some other tools, including a knife, uh, as well as, uh, and I forget what the term is, but I've got a little change bag that a Special Forces soldier made for me that is, that is basically a little change bag that when you put it in your hand, you can defend yourself with it. And it's just carrying $4 worth of quarters around that ends up being a club if you need to use it for that purpose. So
1: you've slipped into my next question, Craig. What, if you find yourself without a personal firearm, what else can you use for self-defense against an active aggressor?
0: Yeah. Anything in the immediate surroundings that you can pick up and hit somebody with it. Um, that's, That's your weapon. If you carry some tools with you, then it's no different than a firearm you need to train with it. Whether that's a little change purse or whether that's mace or, you know, uh, uh, pepper spray, whether it's a knife, uh, whether you pick up a stick from the ground, pick up a salt shaker and and use it to to defend yourself. You need to practice with those things and, and look for, this is another thing that goes along with situational awareness is, walking into a place where you can't carry a firearm for your defense, I'm constantly looking for weapons that I can utilize to defend myself. Again, I don't want to be in that situation, but I'm not paranoid anymore. I'm just prepared. I'm looking for tools that I could utilize to defend myself. That's really
1: good. I had the same
0: thing here in my notes. Anything, anything, but
1: don't forget about your brain.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I mean, run, hide, fight, get get away from a situation whenever you can. Don't try to be a hero. Uh, We talk about all the time, the best thing you can do in an active shooter situation, because that's what we're focusing our attention on here uh, today, is to leave the situation, get on your phone and call and get the professionals there, the police to get there and handle the situation. Uh, it, It might be that the best course of action is for you to remove your family because everybody has different perspectives, but my responsibility is to take care of my family. And so in a situation like that, if I can get them out, then I'm going to get them out and then call and be able to help the police do what they're there to do instead of attempting to be some sort of hero that that's what law enforcement is for. If I'm forced to do that and put in a position where I can't leave, I can't run and then hide and and I have to fight, then I'm going to fight and I'm going to do it with a lot of training behind me.
1: That's really good, Craig. So as we leave on out of here, why don't we narrow this down and and maybe just take two minutes and either reemphasize some points or give
0: folks action steps as we leave out of here. Two minutes. Here you go. The big one for me is anytime you're in an active shooter situation and you're carrying a firearm, then do what the law enforcement officer tells you to do immediately. Don't hesitate. Don't discuss, don't argue, don't do anything, but do what they tell you to do. Put the weapon down, put yourself down. If that's what you're telling you to do, uh, put your arms out, hands out, whatever it is that they tell you to do, do it immediately. And number two, just to emphasize it, like we did in the other podcast, get some medical training. Um, you're you're more likely to utilize your medical training to save a life than you are your your handgun training. Meaning, uh, if you get good solid medical training, you can obviously use it in an active aggressor situation, but you can also use it on the farm, during a car wreck, uh, in a in any situation where somebody might get injured. You can utilize that training and be able to uh, take care of people. That's my two minutes. Boom, that was good. (laughs) You nailed that one. That's great, Craig. So why don't you
1: take us on out of here and tell people uh, where they can go to get some more resources. And we'll call it a day, man.
0: Yeah, man. So uh, always go to thesurvivalshow.com. I love being able to say that because it gives us a good reference point for everybody to head out and find the information that you need. There's all kinds of of links there for everything. Uh, So check that out. And as we move forward, that will continue to expand. So thank you for that. And as always, as far as this podcast specifically is concerned, um, do what you can to subscribe. That means push the button that says subscribe because that helps us tremendously. I know I've said that the last couple of times, but I just I want to emphasize it. We, we appreciate it. Just throw us a five-star rating because we're worth it. I promise you we're worth it. And last but not least, uh, check out the description in this podcast where you're seeing this because it's going to include tips, tactics, skills, action steps, kit checklist, all that cool stuff for today's show. And as always, we really appreciate everybody that's giving us feedback. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Survival Show podcast. Keep it simple. Be positive and stay sharp.